Is that good? Good morning, everybody. Let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. We're so thankful that we can come before you, Lord, uh, not in our own filthy rags, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessing that you have been to us and the work that you're doing in our hearts and lives and in this place. And just as we look at your word and just reflect on your stories, I pray that your name would be exalted and that uh, our hearts would be prompted to bless you and thank you and praise you. Amen. Well, this morning's going to be just a little bit different. God's writing stories. Um, he's writing the story of the whole world <laughs> and he's enacting it. Um, but he's also writing individual stories. He's writing your story. And he's writing my story. And this morning I just wanted to reflect on two stories. One of them is mine. Um, and the reason for that is that um, this is an opportunity for me to... Uh, let those people that don't know me know a little bit about me. That will either frighten you away or maybe not. And I also want to have a look at a story that God wrote and we read about it, a story in the Bible. Um, and, and, and maybe learn something about the God who is actually doing the writing. One of the, um, I suppose, paradoxical things, remarkable things... Um, in the scriptures is that God is sovereign. He's enthroned in the heavens and he rules over all. And yet, <laughs> he's allowed us to participate in his work and his ruling. And we have choices to make. We have de decisions to make. We have choices to make. Uh, we have directions to choose. And somehow or another, God weaves all that together. And I just want us this morning to reflect on the God who is writing the stories, but also on our own response to that God as he writes our own stories and as we participate with him. So a little bit about me. My story actually started before me. It started with my parents and before that. But actually, one thing I just wanted to say about my background that uh, points to the, the fact that God is uh, sovereign and he's working through all of time. You see, my father was, uh, um, lived in Europe, of Serbian descent, and my mother as well, and he lived and fought through the Second World War. And at least three times that I'm aware of, he escaped death by just a hair's breadth. One time he was standing in front of a firing squad, not holding the gun, the other end. And for some reason, God intervened. And for whatever reason, they decided that they weren't going to shoot these men. Another time, a bullet that was shot in the midst of all the other bullets grazed his skull. Another time he was in a, a prison camp 
And there were some people after his life and they actually had a knife to his throat. Why do I tell you this? Well, if any of those events had actually gone to completion, if you like, I wouldn't be here telling you my story. So isn't it remarkable that our lives and, and all that we are and all that we have hinges right from the beginning on the work of God? We think that we're here by our own efforts so often uh, and yet we're dependent for our very existence, we know that, and for our very breath upon the goodness and the purpose and the working of God. And for that, we should be thankful. So I was born and lived in Adelaide my whole life, one younger sister. My parents came to Australia after the World, World War II, as I mentioned. My first language was Serbian. I started school not speaking English. They didn't have ESL classes back then. <laughs> it was only EFL, English as a first language. So um, that was that. I studied engineering. I worked in telecommunications and then technology consulting. And I'm, I'm part-time working now, three days a week and then uh, a day a week at, as a business administration administrator here at the church. And um, I've been married for more than 40 years. That's remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> That's a work of God, I can tell you. <laughs> but I do love my wife and she loves me and God has been good to us over those 40 years. And we've had seven children, seven blessings. Every time my wife sees uh, some children out in the shopping centre. If she sees twins, you know, people like to talk about twins as double trouble. Well, she would always come up and say they're a double blessing, aren't they? So God has been good to us with our seven children, or as some would say, one and a half dozen. You can think about that. So there have been, as I reflect on that time, there are many... Um, uh, things that God has done, it's quite clear that God has been at work. But in the midst of that, there are choices that I had to make. And I've been reflecting about that, and I just wanted to share with you three choices that uh, God led me to. They're really a consequence of his work, um, but they were significant choices. And our choices will define where we go, and I know God is sovereign and he's working it all out. But you know your life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you choose, but you can only spend it once. And I had one opportunity in a number of instances to choose. God allowed that for me. And by his grace, he's actually worked something in my life that I never chose myself and I never would have thought or dreamed of going back those over 60 years now. So let me tell you about those choices. My first choice um, is choosing Christ, how I actually came to know God. Well, 50 years ago, that's a long time I know for some of you people, you can't remember back that far. It was evening. I was preparing for my university examinations in my first year of study at the university. 
It was here at Adelaide. I wasn't thinking about God that night, but he was thinking about me. I wasn't seeking him that night, but he was seeking me. He had been, actually, for some time, even back in the days of my father during the war, which in itself is a remarkable thing. It was not that long before this evening that a stranger had actually said to me, had asked me, in peculiar circumstances, am I ready to die? Now, I didn't have an answer for that, and I don't think I even cared, because for a young man, death is not really a reality. Isn't that right, young men? So that night, um, two strangers, other strangers, visited me at the entrance of my parents' home, and they introduced me to this person, Jesus Christ. And following that encounter, I did have an answer to death. To this day, I have no explanation of why I even listened to these people. I was a young man, 17. I had no interest in God. I had no desire to know him. Really none. I had been brought up in a religious home, but no reality of Christ or God himself. He was distant. And so... I guess one of the first fascinating things about this encounter was that I don't even know why I was there listening to these men. I could very easily have just said, no, I'm not interested. And maybe that's even what I felt. And yet somehow God intervened in that conversation and I listened. You see, my priorities were my examinations. They were actually coming up. For those people that's study for exams, they know what it's like coming up to examination time. It sort of consumes your thinking. And so examinations were my priority. Amusements and pleasure were my priority. I'd have to say drink was my priority. God was not my priority. And yet, in some mysterious way, and I would even say miraculous way, God spoke to me and confronted me that night. The scripture said, for Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. And, and that, that night, the Christ who suffered for sins, who suffered for my sins, encountered me and he brought me to God. That night I became a new creature in Christ and he began a work of probably 50 years now of transformation in my life. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. (laughs) Um, This wasn't some, um, some startling thing that I did personally. This wasn't a work... Uh, of my own goodness or my own doing. It was God encountering me. You imagine yourself in a circumstance where you're not even seeking God. You're not interested in him. You don't want anything to do with him, really. There's so much else in my life. And yet he was gracious enough to bring these men to my home. He was gracious enough to 
um, confront me with the truth. And in some way, for some reason, I bowed my head that night and I prayed. And Jesus Christ came into my heart and he transformed my heart. I know he transformed it because when I look back, <laughs> my life went in a totally different direction than it would have otherwise. I lost all my friends, <laughs> but I gained a heavenly father and a saviour and a family of God. So that was the first choice, choice of Christ. The next choice, as part of my story, I was completely ignorant of the scriptures. I did not know that there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. Now, if anybody here doesn't know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, that's okay, because I didn't either. But that's how ignorant I was. I didn't know that the Bible was made up of books like this. I had heard little bits of the Bible, completely ignorant. But very early on uh, in my Christian life, a friend who is still a very close friend, a very old friend now, um, found out that I had come to Christ. And so he, uh, he was a friend of my father's actually, he got alongside of me and he did two things. He encouraged me to start learning the scriptures, memorising the word of God. And um, he also encouraged me to develop a relationship with the Jesus that I had met. And so he taught me how and helped me how I might spend some time with God in prayer and reading his word. And he also introduced me to five verses. These are the first five verses that I ever learned. These verses are transformational for me. And I don't know about you, and I don't know how, as a Christian, you... Um, Develop your relationship with God. But one thing that I've found indispensable is hiding the word of God in my heart. Now, there are five verses. I was contemplating about whether I told you these five verses or not, but I will. Uh, there are five verses that are assurances. So as a young Christian... There were lots of uncertainties and doubts that I had in my Christian life. And um, these verses were, I suppose, little hooks to help me deal with those uncertainties and doubts. And I believe we all have these uncertainties and doubts. And the first one was the assurance of salvation, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. This is the testimony. I'll say it in the King James. <laughs> this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God does not have life. That, that so helped me as a young Christian to recognise that the life that I now had in Christ was not dependent on the way I felt, it was not even dependent on what I did. It was dependent on the fact that Christ, in whom is life, lives, dwells in me. So there were times of doubt when I felt that perhaps um, I hadn't done enough. 
after all, I'd lived these 17 years away from God and now I'd encountered him and simply by that confession of faith and trust in him, he was going to forgive me. And yet he could assure me that if I have the son, I have life. The other verse was assurance of forgiveness. I'm not going to dwell on these, it'll take too long, but let me just run through them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The next one is assurance of victory. Victory over sin. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. And then assurance of answered prayer. Up till now, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And the last one is assurance of guidance. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. These were transformational in my life. I share them because as very early on it was a seed of God planted in my heart and I believe that one of the reasons I was um, encouraged and helped to grow in my Christian life was because of this seed that was planted in my heart. And for me, it was those first five verses that I, I learned. Well, meeting Christ and getting to know him through his word in my present personal life as my spiritual food, they were transformational and that did change the direction of my life. But there's one other choice. In a way, it was just an extension of these first choices and that, that's what I want to share this morning. When I began to see the significance of Christ and his word in my own life, I also started to see its significance in my family. I have many regrets in my life related to my role as a husband and a father, but there are two things that I don't regret at all, and I believe they have um, had an enormous influence both in my life and in my home. And the first one of those is very early on we chose to make the Bible central in the home. Now what do I mean by that? I guess most Christians have what, this book in their house somewhere. I've got lots of them in our home. But very early on because of the influence that the Word of God had had in my own heart I started to recognise that this book and this word had to be foundational in our home. And that was going to happen two ways. One is it had to be foundational in my own heart and um, so we continued, both my wife and I, to uh, read the scriptures and to uh, study them and, and learn to apply them in our own lives. But also, the Bible had to be central in the home and in the presence of the children. Somebody once talked about putting the Bible on the table, <laughs> meaning the meal table. And it used to be a common thing that uh, um, Christians would hold devotions in their home with their children. 
And I don't know whether that still happens as much these days. Um, perhaps it does. But from my perspective, and I'm sharing you my story, um, this was transformational in our home. And so um, we started to read the Bible every day. Um, maybe the children thought sometimes too much. <laughs> maybe my wife thought sometimes too much. Um, but uh, we would read it. But it was more than just reading it. It was about talking about the scriptures in the everyday affairs of life. Um, I don't know how many times uh, my wife would quote Proverbs 15.1 when there were altercations in the home, and they did happen. <laughs> A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh or grievous words stir up anger. And it wasn't about quoting scripture. It was For us, it was about... Um, Scripture in the normal and natural walk of life. So it wasn't about getting the book out at the meal table. It was about um, referencing and referring to the scriptures and having them as part of our lives in our normal course of life. In fact, I remember someone once telling me that um, he felt that our natural life should be spiritual and our spiritual life should be natural. And so we wanted the scriptures to be a natural part of our Christian war. And so um, that influenced the way we raised the children. Uh, that influenced what we talked about. That influenced what we watched. Uh, and um, by the grace of God, the seed that was planted in the children's lives uh, bore fruit when they themselves were able to encounter the Lord in a personal way. So, that were some of my choices. The three big ones, the choice of Jesus Christ, the choice of the Word of God in my own heart, and the choice of the Word of God in the home. Let us look now at this passage because this is another story. That was my story, perhaps too much of my story, but let's have a look at this story in the Bible. It's a story of two women that had to make choices as well. And it says that, that as the Jesus went on his way, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into his house. This was probably Lazarus's house. Mary and Martha lived in Bethany, uh, it was near to Jerusalem, and Jesus would often go there. And so Martha asked him into the house, and uh, her sister Mary was there. And apparently, when he came to the home, Martha was busy doing things, serving, doing all the necessary things, doing the dishes, <laughs> preparing the meals, etc. But Mary, it says sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And then Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Um, if it was me there, I, I can sympathise with Martha because after all, she's doing all the work <laughs> and Mary's not. Mary's sitting down and what is Mary doing? Mary's doing two things. They've got a guest. She's relating with a guest. Mary is listening to Jesus and she probably conversed with him a little. But by and large, it says that she sat at his feet. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened. She made a choice that day. Just as I had to make a choice when those two men came to my door, I had to make a choice about whether I was going to respond to Jesus Christ or not, respond to his invitation or not. Now, by the grace of God, he did something that prompted me and worked in me so that the choice was a choice that I made. It's not a choice in myself that I feel I would have made but for the grace of God. But it was a choice nevertheless. I could have told those men to leave. I could have rejected the message. I had rejected the message before. It was a choice. These two women had a choice. Now, there was plenty that needed to be done. We understand that. There were plenty of options. There were plenty of decisions to be made. There were tasks to be completed, but these two women still had a choice, and that choice was going to be determined and driven by what they felt was most important. And we'll all do that. We'll make our choices based on what we believe is the most important thing. And for Mary, the most important thing, the most significant thing for her was to sit down and to listen to Jesus. Really? <laughs> that was the most significant thing. But let me tell you this. This is not just what Mary thought. Mary thought that the most significant thing was to listen to Jesus. Mary thought the most significant thing was to hear what he had to say. But not only did Mary think that, Jesus thought that. <laughs> because when the um, complaint was brought to Jesus from Martha. Look, get Mary to do some other things, thank you very much. Jesus actually said, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Now, all of these things might need to happen at some point in time. All the things that Martha was doing may need to happen at some point in time. Certainly not her anxiety, because Jesus said she was anxious and troubled about many things. You know what it's like when you get troubled about the meal that has to, to come? Women know all about that. So, not only was that something that had consumed Martha, but she had not chosen the thing that mattered the most. And Jesus said that Mary had chosen the good portion and it won't be taken away. See, 
Of all the things that have to happen, one thing was necessary. What was the one thing? What was the one thing that's necessary? And this is God's word to us as well. Out of everything we can do, one thing is necessary. What's the one thing? What was Mary doing? Mary was simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word, imbibing his word. In the book of Job, there's this lovely little verse, or it might even be part of a verse, in Job chapter 9, verse 20, when Job says, I have esteemed thy word more than my necessary food. I have esteemed thy word more than my necessary food. Jesus put it another way. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I was confronted with that, you see, in this way. Did I really believe that? And if I did believe it, what would it prompt me to do? If Mary really believed that Jesus' words were more important than a necessary food, if Mary really believed that she did not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, what would she do? She would do what she did. <laughs> she would sit at the feet of Jesus and she would listen. If I believe that the word of God is more than my necessary food... Now, I do know um, a man, he's not living now, uh, who made it as a rule and a discipline for his life, and I'm not suggesting this should be a rule and a discipline for you. It may. And he was a man that was used by God um, in many countries. And he had this little saying, no Bible, no breakfast. <laughs> so the way he applied Job 9.20 was to say, if, if I can't get time for my Bible, then I haven't got time for my breakfast. If I'm going to get time for my breakfast, I'm going to get time for my Bible. Now, that's not a command. We're not commanded to do that. But we are told that this book and this word is our life. We are told that we neglect it at our peril. Just as if we neglect food, we become sickly and weak and we could even die. So if we neglect the word of God, which is our spiritual food, then we can become sickly spiritually. We can become weak. We can become, well, I won't say spiritually dead because once Christ has enlivened us, he's given us life. But we can be like dead people walking with no sensitivity to the things of God and no love for the things of God. And we're exposed then to... Um, the power and the temptation of sin. We've got nothing to fight with. When Jesus was tempted, 
In Matthew chapter 4, by the devil, his response to the temptation was the word of God. That's how he responded. And when we attempted in the same way, if we have the word of God in our hearts, it gives us the, um, the equipment, if you like, and God can use it in our hearts to guide us and to keep us. It's interesting in 2 Timothy 3, chapter 16 and 17, where it tells us that all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It goes on to say that the purpose of it, it's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, but the purpose of it is so that we may be fully equipped, completely equipped for every good work. So there is no plan B. <laughs> if you want to live the Christian life, if you want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, then you can't do it without this book. That Mary knew that. <laughs> she didn't have the book, but she had the words. It's not about... The, the book itself, it's about the words of God and the message of God to our life. Even the king in Israel, and this is, this is really interesting, you would think that the king had certain exemptions. <laughs> but the king in Israel, it tells us that he was to read every day of his life in the book of the law. Every day he was to read. And it was to be with him all the days of his life. It says that he might learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. And so that he might not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. I said we're going to talk about two stories. A little bit of my story and this little story, this snippet in Luke chapter 10, a story of Mary and Martha. But there is a third story, and that story is your story. <laughs> now, I've heard it said sometimes, uh, husbands, I think, are, uh, are actually guilty of this sometimes, uh, that things enter into one ear and go out the other. I don't know if you've ever heard that metaphor before. All right, meaning that um, as soon as you've heard it, you've forgotten it. Right. Or you hear it and you don't make any changes. Remember what I said about our choices and the coin. Each of us have our own stories with God. Each of us have our own lives to live. Each of us make choices about what we're going to do with the word of God. Your choice might be, well, I'm going to read this every day of my life. But it might be more than that. It might be, I'm going to start to learn it. 
I'm going to hide it in my heart. Now, we remember many things. The latest song. <laughs> we remember uh, phrases out of movies. Well, at least I hear people quote them. We remember passages out of books. We remember our telephone numbers. Well, not these days. We remember our spouse's name, I should hope. <laughs> and we can remember and learn the scriptures. Same way. But it's a choice. So we can hide it in our hearts. But then Jesus said something more. We can make the choice to pattern our whole lives around this book. Now, you have to choose how you're going to live your lives before God. It staggers me and maybe this is just an older person talking, but it staggers me today, for example, about the number of books that there are on raising children. Now, I'm not against books on raising children, but there are lots of them, and there are an increasing number of them. And yet, you know, there's a book written in here about fathers and their sons. There's a book called the Book of Proverbs, which gives us principles for raising children. And what staggers me is that people will spend so much effort reading about how to raise children by what men or women have written. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't read those books. I'm not suggesting that people's insights can't be helpful. But what I'm saying is, isn't there something out of balance when my effort and intensity in all of these things is less than my effort and intensity in looking at what God actually says. Now, you may get the impression, like I have, that God actually knows more about raising children than we do. <laughs> if you felt that way or were inclined that way, you may want to spend a bit more effort. Now, that's not a criticism of you folk or anybody, but it's an encouragement for me, for others. And it's not just about children and family life. It's about how you relate in the society or how you relate with the government or how you deal with your friends or some of the warnings in Proverbs about not being duped. <laughs> There's a lot of practical wisdom in life and we make choices. We make choices. We can either choose to spend our coin this way, with a focus on what men say, or we can choose to spend our coin this way, with a focus on what God has said and revealed in his word. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is necessary, Martha, one thing. And Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for, for your word. We thank you for its preciousness. We thank you for what you have done in lives here through it as a living seed, how that you've planted it and you've brought life in the hearts of men and women and children in this place. May we learn to esteem it even more than the necessary food. May we recognise its worth and its value. And may we recognise that it is God speaking to us. And so we thank you, Lord. Uh, Thank you for the forgiveness that we have with all our shortcomings and for the grace of God that overlooks all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.